This is Record Roundtable. And uh, we're going to talk about Linkin Park now. That's it. So before I do an intro from parties involved, uh, go ahead and address uh, the situation because anybody who's been listening to the show has more than likely been following uh, the announcement that we made. We have one and two of those announcements, uh, and there has been a finality. So about a month ago, Jared passed. Um, it was the 24th of September, and as mentioned in the announcement, uh, it initially had started as a heart issue from his heart transplant when he was a baby, kind of progressed slowly into other issues where at first it was the heart issue, the kidneys also went out, which was kind of a mixture of the heart issue, but also the medications that he was taking throughout his life, and then lung issues as well, which all became very cyclical, and this is a very sad way to start the show, but it's kind of the only way that I knew to start the show is to just kind of put it out on the table that unfortunately uh, brother, best friend, podcast hosts cannot be a part of Record Roundtable or our lives for that reason. Um, so, you know, obviously this is hard, uh, which is why it has been over a month since we have been able to sit down and even try to do this because... It's not something that we're coming to the table lightly. Again, it's been over a month uh, since he has passed. This is not something that we're doing just kind of on a whim. We've been thinking about it. Uh, and we're doing Linkin Park uh, for a very particular reason, because while he was in the hospital, he had texted both uh, me and Tyler and said that the show that he wanted to do next was Linkin Park when he got out. Um, and I thought about it like just a couple days ago, and it made me even more sad, but I remember uh, back in 2017 when Chester Bennington passed, Jared had tickets to go to a Linkin Park show, but they had to cancel that tour, uh, and I realized that uh, Jared missed out on getting to see a Linkin Park show because of the death of Chester Bennington, and now unfortunately we're missing out on getting to have Jared on that episode because of this thing, so... Uh, so we don't really know what this in general is going to look like moving forward. Um, but we wanted to make sure that we at least did a Linkin Park episode kind of uh, in honor of Jared's request. Uh, so sorry that I had to bum out an episode right out of the gate with that information because I've had a month to process this and you have not as a listener. Uh, but if it makes you feel... I, I guess better, allow me to do uh, an introduction and now get to it. This is Caleb Robinson speaking. I'm here with... The very sad boy. And as well as... I'm, I'm Dax. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. It's been a while. This is Tyler, by the way, because I have to say it in case people... I don't want to confuse anyone. <laughs> there, there are a lot of sad boys who have been on this show, and we have to make sure they know which particular sad boy it is. I'm going to shut up for a second because I know I got to do the intro. I don't know if either of you have anything that you want to say on this particular 
uh, matter. Obviously, uh, Dax is here. We have not had Dax on the show now for a little over a year or maybe close to a year. It's been pretty, at least a year. Been pretty close to, it's really pretty close to a year at this point, but um, Jared and Dax here uh, were talking quite a bit while he was in the hospital, and I kind of knew that they had kind of reformed the friendship that we had not uh, kind of, I guess, pursued over the last few months, uh, so I felt as though we were in a good place where if there was anybody to sit in the chair in the steed of Jared, it would be the other individual who came into this from the very beginning. It was obviously the four of us, and now it is the three of us in a way that it was me, Tyler, and Jared. So I don't feel like I can fill those big purple shoes, ah. but I'll do my best. And so I, I wouldn't want you to feel like you're, I wouldn't want you to feel like you're replacing anybody. It's that you get to come back and, and be who you are and bring what you brought to the show so that it's not me and Tyler just fumbling the fuck around. Like, who would want to listen to no that? One, My no God. one is interested in listening to me and Caleb talk about Lincoln Park because it's, 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 it's not going to be the most pleasant, I don't think. You don't think so? Well, I don't think I'm going to be the most pleasant. Oh, my. Oh, man. I, well, then, I, 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 so you would you like to get straight to that? We can. <sighs> we can get straight to I suppose. Okay, okay. We're going to talk about Lincoln Park. Let's talk about Lincoln Park. Lincoln, Lincoln Park is okay. Uh, their, name, their name ain't spelled the way that it's supposed to be, and that's kind of fun. But I was talking the other day to Caleb, and I'm like, you know, I, don't, I like Rage, but I, other than that, I don't like that much uh, rap rock, and I don't like this era of rap rock very much. It's all kind of pseudo metal that's not thought out super well and then the rapping is can be good or can be not that good in this case it's this is like lincoln park is like the best rap rock band of the, the period yes but, yes you know. i would say they're the best new metal new metal band since sugar ray ah is, there it is that's yeah, nonsense is. I, you said there might be some sugar ray and now i see where you there's a little more sugar ray and i might bring oh, it up later ooh, sorry i didn't mean to get it's it okay myself. it's okay I, I think that Sugar Ray is not new metal. They had their moments initially. It's beachy, bud. <laughs> Good. I'm glad we got that too. Um, no, I mean, like they have kind of even competed the idea of them being like new metal, but it, okay, come on. Like not in a way that I think is though, I think it's one of those things it's two-parted. One is I think they wanted to be like genre-defying. We aren't just one genre. We're many different things. Plays into the hybrid theory name. Right. Sure. That was actually going to be, I believe, their band name initially, but they decided not to do that yeah. So, uh, because of a band called Hybrid. Hmm. So, But anyways, uh, the other part of it is, is that obviously uh, the term new metal comes with a lot of uh, tainted feelings. Uh, about that particular genre. I actually um, just listened to a podcast last night. Um, I will I will mention that podcast. It's uh, the podcast from Adam Conover, which uh, he did the Adam Ruins Everything. That I don't, I'm sure you, you have probably heard of that YouTube show before. Everyone's heard of him. Right. But the, the podcast is called Factually. Uh, it's an episode with um, the author Kelifa Sine. I've probably butchered the crap out of that name so sorry but it's about how genres shape music and how we interpret uh and understand genres and what they serve purpose wise which I, we've talked about many many times it's an episode that is totally worth looking into if you want but new metal is something that during that era helped conceptualize what that movement was because there was a lot of new metal at that period of time 
corn, Limp Biscuit. Obviously, Linkin Park fell into that territory. In, in pop music. Well, that's they, it dominated a lot of radio rock. And But that thing is, is that I feel like Linkin Park, they were probably the closest to transcending that along with probably Deftones. I think those two are probably the groups that were the closest to falling into that territory. Except like Deftones is good and harder. They are they are harder, I agree, but they still had the same tendencies. They still had a lot of the same flares that came with that. Linkin Park is radio pop new metal, though. I know. I, I basically just said that. It's way, way poppier than... Than Deftones, for sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely by Deftones. Well, sure. especially over the... I mean, over the course of time, it gets poppier anyway. Oh, for sure. So, you know... Every... I mean, really, every, every album s- slowly steps that way. Though I would say that Meteora hybrid theory are almost one and the same. I think most people would not be able to tell you if, you know, Crawling was on one or the other versus Somewhere I Belong on one or the other or Numb on one or the other. Like, I don't think that anybody's going to really know those two. But once you get to Minutes to Midnight, it, it just... How do you feel if I tell you that one of the songs that I learned this week is a Linkin Park song I thought was you 2 until oh yesterday. I don't even know which one it would have been. Is it is it Shadow of the Day? Yes. Is it? You thought that was U2? It sounds like U2. That doesn't sound like a U2 song. Like I could see Like a Vertigo it. era U2 where they kind of try to get hard again. The only thing is that the vocals don't sound like Bono. No, but... Well, the... the no, I mean, his voice doesn't sound like Bono, but the... The style, the voc- the melody in, vo- in the vocals does sound like Bono. It sounds like you. It sounds like a U two melody. It's anthemic rock. I mean, that's really what they went for on Minutes to Midnight, from my perspective, is they kind of went straight to an anthemic rock sound. They did never like berate me and basically trash and forcibly enter my iTunes like you two did. Yeah. So you know, thank you. They're all about consensual listening. Ah, oh, we do love consensual listening here. Uh, so let me ask this. This is kind of a good starting point too. Uh, cause I will, I mean, I will go ahead and say it because I know you said unpleasant. I love early Lincoln park. I'm not afraid to say it. I know that the, the term guilty pleasure exists in this world. I do not think that that is something that anyone should ever have to say unless there is good reason to be guilty about such a thing. IE enjoying Tom McDonald feel guilty about that that's why like i wouldn't if you put get these any two pleasure things out of that then that's you've made a mistake be guilty but lincoln park is not something to be guilty about it's just something that people like to shit on sometimes very but, nickelback-ish in a lot of ways true. It, it does it start i mean especially the later in but i think that the later in taints the early in because people loved that music people like went ham for songs like in the end i still love it it's good and i think people love nickelback too I know we've talked about this, but everyone likes Nickelback. Everyone likes Linkin Park. Don't say everyone. Everyone. Every single person. You do too. I know. I do not like Nickelback. There are, there's a song by Nickelback you like. No. I don't think so. If it was playing, you wouldn't be like, oh, fuck this. Maybe you'd say that, but you wouldn't feel that. I think I would. I, wouldn't, I would not think that way about... I don't like hate Linkin Park. Early Linkin Park is okay. I don't. It's okay. It's fine. I heard it in bowling alleys. I heard it around. Contextually, it's useful. I, because we're going back to our bowling it's alley. True, it's true. Yeah. It's true. I love that. That's always been that's our like touchstone. R.I.P. Like, Madison Bowling Alley. It's been gone since the tornado that came through like four years ago. They oh, tore it down. Oh, no. Sucker's gone. Tornado took her down. Okay, but contextually, it's uh, there's a validity as well because my friends who liked Linkin Park were the people I knew. Some of them were friends. Some of them were just people I knew who liked Linkin Park. Were like that was the music that you liked if you were kind of uh, in my where I'm from, kind of different. 
Yeah. You know, so unique. That, yeah, kind of edgy. Or you just raw. like like my buddy liked uh, anime, and that's not that's pretty rare. He liked Naruto a lot, and yeah. he also uh, had like a car from the forties. You know, he's kind of an interesting fella. Lincoln Park and definitely Lincoln embodies Park. that nerdiness too. Yes. Like I mean, like there's like a Gundam in one of their videos, and like there's definitely some nerdiness that you can see. Agreed. So I, I think there's a contextual. There's like I think that's valid. You know. Yeah. So I'm not trying to. They're not Nickelback to me. Yeah. Cody. No, I didn't say they sound like. Well, they, they don't. Really. You're comparing it when in terms of like the the hate level. Yes. Yeah. Show. Exactly. It is not. Yeah. But that's not how it is for me personally. I don't like Nickelback. They're bad. I'm not saying Lincoln Park is bad. I'm just saying. I think that um, when it comes to that particular, not the. <laughs> Not the Nickelback particular end of things. I think that like Tyler's perspective on this tends to be where a lot of people go, is that groups like Nickelback and Linkin Park, I don't even know if Linkin Park were fully intentional, but obviously there's some intentionality to it, is that there is a lot of hookiness to those songs. And I think some people get mad when like a rock group adds a hook into their song because like if you look at Linkin Park just from like a vocal end of things because obviously they embody both the rap end and the rock end so you have Mike Shinoda on the rap end and Chester Bennington on the rock end typically with a lot of their songs Mike Shinoda is kind of the the centerpiece of the song from a vocal standpoint and then Chester Bennington is the hook he's the one who comes in yeah with he's the, the one who's screaming yeah and so, like, even the screaming end of things can sometimes, especially hybrid theory on my on my end, you hear a lot of him serving that purpose. Um, and I think that people, like, they're, like, mad when something gets stuck in their head. And there are many times that a Linkin Park song will get stuck in your head. Yeah, because a lot of them are the same song. Mm. You just agreed with me earlier on it, and now you want to I sit said in the they middle. sound very similar. Yes, yeah, see? I didn't say they're the same song. That's what... <sighs> There are, there were many instances where I was listening to a song and I was like, "Oh, I thought this was another song," but I still knew all the words. Boy splitting hairs. I could a lot of Chester Bennington choruses probably sound similar. I could already say that "Numb" and "In the End" have similar chorus structures. I got confused listening to it. Uh, but there are definitely ones that like break that mold to some degree. Yeah, sure. But when they're not all the same, all their popular songs though are like, I'm like, yeah, I feel like I've heard this before. Even if I haven't heard him before. So you didn't say, Mr. Dax, um, what was kind of like your standard for Linkin Park initially? When you like when you were younger, because we were I mean, we were fairly young in the era of Linkin Park, but we were all also very musically minded at an early age, and we definitely experienced Linkin Park probably at their height at some point, even if it was a case that we might have not even hit our teens yet. So I definitely like I was I was a very radio uh, avid radio listener listening to the pop hits so i do remember when hybrid hybrid theory came out uh that was all over daily daily he sold music get sold consumer (laughs) he's not allowed to listen to the radio that's how i got music you totally listened to the radio at some point as a kid yeah i listened to to garage rock Radio. I had either the, the radio so pure. or my parents' large collection of classic rock. And don't get me wrong, I listen to the, the shit out of that classic rock too. But the radio, you can't beat it. Not in the early 2000s. I learned a lot from the radio. I learned a lot. It's how I fell in love with Eminem. Where else am I going to hear Nelly Furtado? I'm like a bird. Oh, that's a good song. 
It is. I think that we were in a very odd era too, is like that radio era. I mean, of course the radio was also a thing well before that people were listening. I mean, if you talk about like um, the college rock stations and like the late eighties, early nineties, like the radio is not a new thing, but it was so prominent at this era because like the two thousands is kind of when we started hitting that explosion of a lot more artists because it was a lot easier to produce albums. And like now, like there's no world where you could listen to all of the music. It could not be done, but there was a period of time when music would come out. It might've been one or two albums and not 700 because it was so hard to consume music. But like by the two thousands, there was such a large portion of music. So there was so much to get out of listening to the radio. There were so many different types of stations that like you could listen to, you know, the pop station while Tyler listens to the garage rock station, you're still listening to the radio, but you're getting completely different experiences. There were multiple pop stations too, really like, you know, in my hometown, you listen to Louisville stations, and if you listen to 98.9, you suck. But if you listen to 99.7 DJX, you're an all right guy. You're okay. I like you. I'm pretty sure mine was 93.1. Well, there you go. Did you have a rival station like I, like I did? I don't think so. I have no idea on my end. What would you have gotten? Cincinnati Radio? 103.3, I guess. Because he, he got indie radio. He would have gotten Indianapolis Radio. I got Louisville Radio. I remember there was a pop station, which was 101.3. And there was also a pop station that was, I believe, 101.9. So they're very close. You got, I'm sure you Turning got the dial. I'm sure you got Cincinnati. 99.5 was also once. 107.1 was a rock station. I'm saying these because I was wondering if they would pick up for you. 99.5. Okay. So oh, yeah, yeah. some of those stations will have open. We got WEBN in Madison, but we mostly just listened to Louisville. So you, you heard them on the radio then. So is it more of just an experience? Like, did you just like kind of, I heard it in the background. So I know I know it. Or I remember specifically, I would make a lot of mixtapes because my radio had a cassette thing on there. And I do remember there were a few of their songs that I had on those tapes. I don't, I, I'm not sure which ones, probably just whatever was the biggest one. Did you sit and wait? Did you like listen to stuff and you just basically recorded a, a mixtape that was a bunch of things in rapid succession because you're like, oh, I like that, I like that, I like that? Or did you like sit in front of the radio and be like, I got to listen to this whole program because I'm going to pick 17 of these tracks to put on this cassette. So I've got to wait here all night long to get my one mixtape. He would call them and request they play exactly. the and then sit and exactly. wait. Oh, you're going to play it? Okay, great. Can Go you play Baba O'Reilly by The Who? <laughs> there it is. No, I would generally wait until they would like announce the song that was about to play. Or when there was a transition, I would just pick it at random. Well, I just think it's an interesting idea to think of someone who's like, the way I have to get music is to make a mixtape from the radio, yeah. but I don't know what they're going to play. So I just put my cassette in and I have to sit here for like hours. And then like three hours later, I come out and I go, I have the perfect radio mixtape. It's I surveyed three hours worth of music here to get you 40 minutes worth. I had some really good ones. That was before the days of uh, legally downloading music, you know, legally, 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 legally. Legal. That's what I care about. Legal. The internet wasn't ready yet for such a thing. I will say that Lincoln Park was like super big into downloads real early on, though. They uh, like even their concerts, they would sell blank CDs that came with download codes and you would download the audio from the concert you were at and oh. you could burn it onto the blank CD you bought. 
That's pretty cool, actually. That right? is kind of like cool, that, but right? at the same time, it's also like, why didn't you just give me the CD of it? Well, they, because that was the live that you just went to. It is they're, the one. They're recording the But audio. if you're already recording every one of them, you can just make the CD. But it's the one you were at. You I know. personally were at. You can't give them that You can't in burn person. it that quick. You buy it at the, you at the merch stand, person. and then you download that single that one. That is cool. It's also cool because it costs a lot to make a CD by comparison, so now you just get a bunch of lives. Yes, exactly. What if, that, what if that was just a bad show? Uh well, nah, this one kind of. I sucked. did listen, uh, so I listened to one of them. Uh, Break the disc. My new roommate. Break it. Had had an actual recording that that she got from one of the shows. Very good. Just an incredible live. They're quite good live, actually. From like the the because they have a lot of live performances on CDs. They put their live performances on their albums for bonus tracks, all that kind of stuff. So the underground stuff. There's a lot of live stuff there. I uh, I will also I think this is a good point to mention too because like you know we're kind of emphasizing the popularity that they had, but like Hybrid Theory and Meteor, but in particular Hybrid Theory is one of the best selling albums of that era. Like it's it like I knew that Linkin Park was big at the time, but I thought maybe it was more of one of those groups that was big for me because I learned like as I was getting older that there were groups or songs that I thought were like really big. But it was because of what, like, MTV station I was watching and, like, which, like, if you watch Headbangers Ball and you saw the same video of, like, this yeah. song, you you're like, oh, big. this is big because it keeps playing. But it's like, oh, no, buddy, this is Headbangers Ball. How do you they don't I play the big songs on Headbangers Most of my Ball. life feels that way. When all through school, I'm just like, this is some huge stuff. And then you ask everyone and they're just like, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. And you're just like, like I, I hate you all. I thought, because, I mean, I, I was obviously too young to know all of the details. But, like, I knew Float On was a really big song. So I had to assume that good news for people who love bad news is a was huge also album. a good album and a big well, album. it is a good album, but it's not big. A big album. Yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. So I mean, Float On isn't even that big of a... It is a big song, everyone. It got bigger once it was sampled. Point being, though, is is that like they very much were like the height, if not like the biggest rock band in that era. And they're st- they were still like one of the highest paid rock bands a decade later. They were, if not still, like the best-selling rock band, right? The Beatles, pal. Of the of this century. Of the yeah. Of the, tw- yeah, of the yeah. thousands, we should, yeah, we yeah, should yeah, peek yeah. that information. It's definitely up there. I know that. I think they're like really closely followed by Nickelback. Are yeah, they? Of course they That's are. That's funny. I think you're probably right. Honestly, <laughs> it's not a joke, but it sounds like it does because everything we've said so far. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is that Lincoln Park was really one of, and I hate to even have to say this, but they're one of the very last big rock bands because again from 2000s on rock music has continued to dwindle in popularity well we have machine gun kelly now oh and thank god yeah and thank god he brought pump pop pop punk back we needed that uh and uh, and of course he brought in the classic pop punk artist travis barker and now they're dating super cool pop punk gals um very cool very cool just real big punk heroes for me but point being is is that the last 20 years we've only seen a handful of rock artists again pop music was still very very much um the top dog in the 2000s probably 2010s but then the last probably five years hip-hop has definitely 
the the biggest genre that is uh, kind of on the market, I guess. And rock is still yet to find its way back. Like there've been like things where like we've talked about like the garage rock revival where some groups were getting a little more popular, but it never got anywhere near like, like if you look at Linkin Park, they were at the top of the US alt charts, but they were not at the top of the US charts. From late aughts on, it's, it's not happening. It probably won't happen, which is fine. Rock is like underground music now. Which is cool. Way cooler. It just means better quality. That's the nice thing. When it's not the most popular music, it means that hopefully you can get some better quality things. Nickelback. You don't have to sell albums as much anymore. Maybe they'll make a good one. Maybe I'll like something. Like their new single, The Wellerman. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now we have to keep it. <laughs> Thank God. Um, I think, again, that goes back to, though, is that you kind of interpret that a song is not good if it's hooky because it it's I the, don't think that way at all though because I like hooks. Well, it's the, it's more the repetition and I guess because you you interpret that a song so like I kind of forgot that one of Lady Gaga's songs what the chorus was like seven words, but it was just repeated over and over and over and over and over and over again. So you interpret the song as not very good because it wasn't really quality writing. I'm going to counter that with Daft Punk though. Okay, that's fair. It's literally just a couple words, just over and over. That's dance music, which Lady Gaga is kind of dance music in its own right too. But point being is, is that I think that like the interpretation is so like again like a, a Nickelback or a Linkin Park, you're supposed to sell records. Like Linkin Park were on Warner Brother for their debut. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of those, a lot of people in that period were on big, big labels because the small labels. Small labels didn't get the breakout. Like in the '90s, they built up a catalog to do so, but they still didn't hit it until the like teens. Really, we know now some small labels that are like Sub Pop is a big label now. Even in the early 2000s, Sub Pop was not a big label. And even what your conception of a big label is is not a Warner Brothers. Well, no, that's massive, or even Columbia or anything like those are huge. Those are are so they're so big that they own small labels. But it's not, I don't like that's not surprising anyway. None of that stuff is surprising. I don't have an issue with hooks, hooks are good, that's fine. I don't have, I mean, I'm not surprised that they're on a big label for their debut. That's like what happened a lot they in did, that period. They did get rejected from a lot of small labels, they tried for a while, they tried so hard, and they got so far, and it really did matter. It did matter quite a bit, actually. Um, though I will also say, I think that this is maybe important piece and one that like I would like to mention because we have obviously when we listen this is still the you know the standard of record roundtable we try and listen to as much of the discography as we possibly can I know that you did Dax I don't know if you got to listen to it did everybody get to listen to reanimation mm-hmm. reanimation is a prime example of how yes they were definitely like in the territory of radio rock but they absolutely had inspiration and the willingness to do things that were not radio rock they did and that's not the only example either did you listen to any of the lincoln park underground stuff i don't i don't think so so there's an album uh lincoln park underground eight i think it was I saw they had a lot of them. It, uh, it's called mm Cookies, I believe. Uh, Hamster Jewel of America. Is that right? Fact check me. <laughs> Please fact check. The oh, let mm me fact check. Yeah, I'll fact check your like 10 word album title. 
I'll get right on it. I think if you it. just type Linkin Park mm, cookies, it should probably lead you in the right I'm trying direction. to look on legitimate sources here, which I'm not going to be able to. I'm going to have to Google. It's so good, too. So what's the difference on that one? We'd have to listen to it a little bit. You need to hear it to know. Now, the underground stuff, I assume, was was this is after the debut or leading up to the debut? I believe it's after, because I think I didn't listen to all of them. That's the only one I yeah, listened to. Yeah, this is from 2008. Oh, from eight? It's an EP, essentially. It is called Sweet Hamster Like Jewels from America. Great. The EP was attributed to the fictional group called Mmm Cookies. Mmm Cookies is the name of the group, but Sweet Hamster Like Jewels from America is the name of... And you said 2008. 2008. Okay. Can we hear a little bit of something? Look, I try to find legitimate sources, and you all just told me to Google. Let me see what I can get. What is, so what does it sound like? We're going to find out. Okay, oh, this is a surprise. All right, all right. I'll shut up then. One, two, one, two, three, four. Uh. This song's about jellyfish. And they're better fish. Ain't no fully fish. I don't truly really fish. Goes like this. Jelly, jelly, jellyfish. Wow. That's punk now. <laughs> wow. That's my favorite yeah. uh, Linkin Park song. Is it? Yeah. PB and Jellyfish. I, I'm i astounded. That was <laughs> that so, was some interesting stuff. So happy, time. too. I don't even know how to interpret the idea of like, because again, if it was 2008, like that means that they were doing that with absolutely the ability to make that not sound like so rough. But, but why they would did. they? But why would they? They were doing a song about a jellyfish. What were they going to do, make the proper album? No, because it was that band was Mmm Cookies. Yeah. Oh, so that was Mmm Cookies. That was not Linkin Park's version. Exactly. That was oh. Mmm Cookies. Okay. I feel different now. I do believe a lot of the, the Linkin Park Underground, I think there's some live performances that were released as the Underground thing. Well, I think that those, I think that, because I mean, it was eight is what you're referencing. I think that they were doing those like in 99, 98. Because I know that they were a group that had been, uh, they had been making music and like performing together long before their debut in 2000 because that album encompassed music that they had been working on for like five years. I want to talk about that a little too. Like that is the reason their, their debut album is so good. Like it is just condensed of all of their greatest things from the entire time they were trying. Like every pitch they had, they just kept making it better and better and it's just tight. That's what you do when you have a bunch of EPs. There are multiple artists who have, you know, a slew of EPs prior to finding a label that will put out a debut record. Yeah. And their debut record is like two thirds, all the good songs from their EPs, and then a couple of stuff they're sitting on that makes sense or something of that nature. Yeah. yeah. Their second album too. They had eighty demos, I believe. They recorded like like eighty, ninety songs for minutes to minute minutes to midnight. Yes, that that is correct. But even minutes to midnight, they had even more songs that they recorded going into it, um, which is surprising based on the direction they went. But anyways, reanimation though. Um, so that album is a remix. Mike Shinoda did the remix version of the album. It was guided by somebody else. I don't remember who. 
Mike Shinoda was the, I mean, it doesn't, it's just someone who mixed it. He did all the production, so it's not a big deal. Um, so it kind of reveals Shinoda's, because I mean, he's he's the rapper of the group, and uh, this we'll get to this as well, but he also did Fort Minor. So he has, obviously, a lot of um, understanding of hip-hop, and not just, I'm rapping for the sake of rapping on this. He's admittedly quite technically good at rapping, um, which I think that you cannot take that away from him. Don't you dare take that from him. Reanimation really is like an underground electronic hip hop album. Like it really throws a lot of the book of Lincoln park out and just picks up like straight up underground beats. Uh, I, you might kick me in the shit and just, just going to beat me up for saying this. There's a little bit of trip hop in there too. Like these very clearly influenced by a lot of the darker end of like the underground hip hop scene. And then also a lot of electronics come in, but like the dimmer version of like, it's like a nightmare club is basically this album. And it still uses the elements of hybrid theory. It is a remix album of the entirety of hybrid theory, along with some of the bonus tracks. But again, it is a completely different album. And I think that if you're somebody who doesn't like hybrid theory, it would be worth trying reanimation because they are completely different songs. You should try because it's good. I like that album. I told you that two days ago. I told you that. I know. Yeah. And I, you kind of inspired me because I will tell you, and this is what blew me away. I had never listened to it. And I'm really disappointed I had not because I loved Hybrid Theory as a kid. If I had found reanimation, I probably would have gotten into underground hip hop earlier than I did. And I still got into it pretty early. It's good. Reanimation is good. That's why, I mean, what I talked about two days ago to you is sometimes in, in this period of rap rock stuff, it is very heavily metal influenced and the metal is not normally that awful good. So it's kind of hard to be like, it's kind of hard to say cause they don't either stand on their own very well. The hip hop rapping that Lincoln park does is actually pretty good. But most of the time, these types of groups, they don't stand on their own one way or the other. They'd have to be mixed together to be anything, but reanimation uses metal sounds to make a hip-hop album and that's cool instead of blending the two completely together because that's what makes it stand out it is and it sound and it has interesting things going on i saw like it described as like an industrial hip-hop album and like well there's a lot of industrial sounds already in lincoln park especially right. in the per, like the the rhythm and percussion stuff so there's already kind of like some nine inch nails styled industrial you know, like the, some of the, th the things yeah. that sounds like you're beating on things with wrenches. And, and on top of that, again, like they obviously have a lots of hip hop that comes out of that. Like they have somebody who like just record scratches in their group, you know, like that's part of their group that he's not there for no reason. And <laughs> they use that in their music early on. Um, but like, it, it's still one of those things where reanimation is a lot more centered on the hip hop to the point that it almost, I, I don't, I don't think it's better than hybrid theory just, but it could even be just a nostalgia thing or just not have experiencing it enough. But I was like, this is one of the best remix albums just for being able to just completely reshape that record in a way that makes it not at all hybrid theory, but still very clearly hybrid theory. Um, you should definitely play one of the songs from that. I liked a couple of the ones that I liked. One thing that blew me away, the um, all, all of these songs are kind of titled the same way, but they're like like computerized versions of it, so good luck um, if you are listening. Executioner Style has Black Thought on it, which is absurd. That Black Thought of the Roots is on a Linkin Park album. Um, 
There's a bunch of underground people on this as well, but I like High Voltage a lot. That's a really good, just like straight up hip hop song that it does not sound anything like the bonus track it comes from. But I actually really like the Paper Cut one. We already played Paper Cut coming in, but the Paper Cut one is a, a dark, dim hip hop song, and it sounds pretty good. I don't know if you guys have any songs from that that stood out, but. Did you, did you, did you listen to it? I did listen to it. From my perspective, it was easier to have songs stand out because they are remixes of songs I'm already familiar with. So it's like listening to a new song, but I already know all of the elements of like the vocal portion. So it's easy to remember which portions of songs stood out well. I mean, I just like the album. I don't know. High voltage. If you would play even just a, a just a hair of high voltage, you can again hear the influence of like a um, an older style of hip hop that also comes in on the album too. Like I, I I don't know how much you guys are familiar with them, but uh, there's no world where Mike Shinoda has not heard a uh, Mob Deep song hearing that like it's so it's so mob deep to me kind of style of underground hip-hop and again like it does not sound like lincoln park um yes there he is there he is we got it sounds familiar that song sampled lamont dozier song family yeah french he's like no one to find this nobody listens to this french stuff Interesting. There it is. I was able to sneak one in. Nice. Look what you did. You snuck her in. So we're talking about two other ends of the hip hop while we're on the topic, by the way. Um, familiar with Fort Minor. I'm sure you guys probably heard like Fort Minor when it came out. The, like, What was your familiarity with Fort Minor when it came out? Not much. No? No, I was in a... Di- you know me. I was in a different place for a lot of this stuff. I really wasn't... Was not in that world. Well, it was just interesting because, like, for me, Fort Minor was like not no anywhere near like being as big as Lincoln Park. But I was surprised to see that him having and like kind of shifting into a side project actually had hits. Most side projects do not have hits. Like I know that um, Chester Bennington also had a side project around the same time, but I can't remember the name of it. And the reason for that is because it did not really get very big. Uh, but Fort Minor had some significant hits. I know the song Where'd You Go was pretty popular. Um, remember the name gets played at like sporting events a lot at the time. Every single high school basketball game I went to. We yeah. just talked about that the other day. When I played football, we came out, out to that song, Onto the Field. I didn't even know it was him for a very long time, until like a couple years ago. Honestly, though, I will say like if you, I know we keep playing stuff now, you play the song Petrified because that was also it was a minor single. It still had a music video. It still got a little bit of playtime on like the. Fort minor it was a Fort Minor single, a minor Fort Minor. Oh, there it was, a minor Fort Minor single. But that's probably the most of the singles, the most just like straight hip hop song I would say of the collection. Because obviously the reason that Where'd You Go got popular is because it's more of like that like kind of ballad hip hop song that was popular at the time. 
i.e. like an Eminem um, toy soldiers Stan ish because Stan because of the the Dido thing sounds like it even if the lyrics don't feel like it um, and then remember the name had that kind of like upbeat like oh yeah we're gonna charge in and play football feel petrified is just a hip-hop song um, so that's worth if you've never heard it Wish all these hip-hop to. songs will stop making me feel things stop it I just want to listen to some beats. Yeah, I don't. I mean, my when it came out, honestly, I was probably not super aware because it's it's from two thousand and five. But it wasn't. I wasn't in that world. I heard a lot of it in the locker room, and that's the the extent of it. But I also heard lots of questionable things in there. You got to take things here and there. Music that is with a grain of salt. sound familiar it sounded like d12 covered insane in the membrane <laughs> yeah it's it's odd it's quite odd it has definitely the sound of kind of like that era of hip-hop for sure like that kind of like um 50 cent nelly kind of like almost like a club hip-hop sound a lot of boom bap that's what I was going to say. It still has a little bit of that, too. Like, almost like, kind of like um, how, like, Atmosphere would have approached doing that style of music. Um, but I, I think Fort Minor was actually pretty interesting. I re-listened to the album because I hadn't listened to it in a long time. But the other thing we're talking about on the hip-hop front is who helped make Fort Minor happen is somebody who you can be pretty aware was somebody who was involved with Lincoln Park. That was Jay-Z. You guys are pretty, are you familiar with the Jay-Z thing? The Jays? Why are you saying it like Jay-Z? It's Jays. Are you aware of the Jays thing? <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay, so so you are not though, Tyler? So uh, Linkin Park and Jay-Z have an EP that came out. Oh, no, I am aware. Because for a long time, that's the only way you could hear 99 Problems. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Well, wasn't it? And the Numb Encore, if I remember right, was the one that was a single? And like it's it's an interesting concept, like taking a song from Linkin Park and a song from Jay Z. Like it was an early mashup, yeah. which of course we love here the mashup songs. Thanks, Jared, for that. Leaving that with us to deal with for the rest of our life. Um, but like that was like really all it was was just a mashup album of, but it was all Linkin Park Jay Z, and it was them performing it. But it's like I I also enjoyed that when that came out. And I think that came out sometime after Meteor, probably 2004, 2005 region, maybe even closer to 2005 because of the Fort Minor thing being something that came out. Um, but there's a lot of, I mean, that that's kind of the point that I was making from this very long-winded uh, conversation is that there's a lot of hip-hop that comes out of Linkin Park, even though obviously we think of them as a rock band. I'll agree. I'll agree with it. There's a lot of hip hop that comes out of it, but I mean, it is still it is still half hip hop. Proper Lincoln Park for sure. <laughs> yes, yes. 
there's very little like um but i guess what i would say is there was no remix rock edition of hybrid theory like there wasn't a point where they just like took all the hip-hop elements and just made it like a straight like cock rock album <laughs> like that never thankfully that never was something we had to deal with that'd be terrible you would have loved it oh absolutely you're a terrible human I know. Uh, so we should go ahead and transition into the end where we talk about uh, things that aren't hybrid theory or meteor, which like, I think it's worth like focusing on those because that was their height. Uh, and minutes to midnight is worth spending a little bit of time on because it did have some significant singles for sure. Yeah, right. And also what I had done is actually the biggest single that came off of that in terms of like a radio play chart success, all that junk. Um, because I think that, like, there was a four-year gap and people were excited about a new Linkin Park, even if perhaps the new Linkin Park was not quite the old Linkin Park, as Kanye West would say. I'm sure neither of you are super excited about a new Linkin Park album. There's a new one? I uh, When when uh, Minutes of Midnight came out. Oh. You were, you were not excited no. after the four-year hiatus. I wasn't anything. I was wholly, I was unaware of the four-year hiatus. I have an incomplete unawareness of this period. So, like, like Meteora had a, a stupid amount of hits that came out of it that got a lot of playtime. And so, like, by the time that, like, 2004 was wrapping up, like, there was a long silence of Linkin Park. And if you were, like, a huge Linkin Park fan, you definitely noticed that there was no Linkin Park for a hot minute once like breaking the habit wasn't being played on mtv in the, anymore mtv was like what rock song do we play now <laughs> like see that's a good that's actually a great example of of my uh absence mental absence for most of this i remember when breaking the habit came out and i didn't know it was that long ago uh it didn't feel like that long ago i remember it was the new lincoln park song and the, the music video was all over it was on meteora uh, I know it's messed Second up. Second album, yeah. It's, it doesn't make any sense, and I thought that was new Lincoln Park. I was like, check out this new one. Yeah, it, it's it's odd that I'm using this as an example, but it's kind of like when My Chemical Romance's Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge came out because they were having hits that came off of that like months and months and months after the release of the album, and it's because they had a sleeper hit, and then they started releasing more of their hits. And then it was a case that, like, after that happened, is that once you have a hit that lasts for a while, you don't have to have another hit released. You can just let that one ride out for a while. So this, I mean, like, this is a, another dumb example, but it's why a lot of people today, when they have a hit on the chart, they don't have to release another one because it stays on the chart for, like, almost a year. Because, it, like, like, I would guess, I don't want you to look it up, but if you look on Billboard Top, like, what is it, 200, 100, whatever... It, I bet you that the box is still probably on. They could, I mean, you can just release singles throughout the entirety of your album. And we'll be, I mean, the first two albums, there were a lot of singles on it anyway. You can just do it and ride the whole thing. Ride the thing with the radio play. Who cares? Right. Point being, though, is, is that Minutes to Midnight still had quite a few hits on it. But the quality obviously dips because of the fact that they go a direction that people did not expect. They dropped a lot of the hip-hop. A lot of the hip-hop. Very little rap in it. Almost none. A lot of pop in it, though. Yeah. Shinoda really, I mean, he has maybe like two verses but then he also sings on it but it's just like like Shinoda's a fine singer but like that's not what he was there for was to sing he was there for a different reason so like not to say that he's not capable of doing it I think he probably wanted to do it or he wouldn't have stuck around with him for so long but he definitely has like taken on a different role for the last 15 years almost yeah I mean when you're in charge of production you can do you don't you know 
it's an opportunity to an extent. I didn't. I mean, he already was doing some solo work, not not only in other projects, but under his own name. So, I don't know. Sometimes you just got to shift. Also, how many rap rock, rap rock albums can you make? New metal was on its way out when they it started. Was, yes, they couldn't keep doing it. Yeah, no, I get that for sure. Like by two thousand seven, uh, another new metal esque album would not have sold the way that it did in two thousand three. Especially because by 2007, just selling music was different already. Like, the way that we conceptualize how music was made, because by 2007, we were already hitting a point. Because, like, 2000, 2003, we were still in a range of, like, like we might have been recording songs with a cassette tape. But by 2007, we were already potentially downloading MP3s. It was a huge jump between 2000 and 2007, where, like, just the idea of buying music... The iPod was, was much more widely available in 2007, MP3 yeah. players were all over. I had multiple MP3 players in yeah. the in the mid aughts. The tech the tech boom happened, and that I mean, like, not to say that new metal was affected by the tech boom, but my point is, is that like music just in general sold differently, and that heavily affected rock music, in my opinion, is just the tech boom where you have hit singles now, and it's more like a YouTube thing, you know, like that wasn't really a 2007 thing, but even was starting to move in that direction where like hits became hits because they were on YouTube and not because they were on MTV or the radio. Mm, yeah. It, well, more into the teens, more so than around that period. We were moving in that direction, I guess the way. I'm yeah. But also the, re- I mean, the reality of like hip hop is just a newer genre. So it has hit a certain stride and it was hitting it in that period as rock had already been aged you know hip-hop in the meantime was really 30 years old and even the 80s was like the quote-unquote golden era where it was a very different form of hip-hop than the 90s i mean we think of the 70s where we have very late 70s 77 ish you have early stuff that becomes hip-hop and then the 80s you had the 80s I mean, it's still integrating a lot of pop elements. It's not really taking to the 90s until it starts to stand on its own right. in a way that borrows from genres to create a more legitimized new genre. You know, that isn't just about taking music from somewhere else and then spitting over top of it. You know, it becomes a little different. And so it was relatively youth- young and it still is relatively young. And that's why it's so popular. But coming off, it, coming off of because I know that you know we spent a lot of time on those albums. But again, like I said, for good reason. Coming off of that again, and it has a lot to do with just the popularity of rock music. We're just not familiar or interested in the last four albums as a culture, not as a podcast, but as a culture. We just did not care about anything after Minutes to Midnight, and we only really cared about Minutes to Midnight for the singles and not as an album. So that's that comes into a certain phenomena that I've run into a lot of times in personal listening, right? Because what it really is is you. I really like what you've done on this album, and maybe so on this album. But so when you, I when I want you to make new music, I want it to be like that. But it can't be because I actually don't want that. I don't want six albums that are all the same album. I think I want that, but I don't. I just want you to put something out there that lets me know it's you. That's just like wow and like mind-blowing it's new and you're like wow that's what you want but it's hard to get well then when they change you're aggravated by it you know so you're just stuck in a weird dilemma where you want more of the same thing but what you actually want is something that sounds new and fresh that is reminiscent enough of the same thing to make you be excited about it and that's a difficult thing to attain because especially when you've built it up with two albums worth of almost the same stuff 
So you're in like a listener's dilemma. And basically what I'm getting at here is if they had just stopped making music after Meteora, uh, it would have been fine. It wouldn't have really mattered. It doesn't matter. Like you can't, they could not have done it. You could not have made another album. The only way they could have, have done made it. that album is if it was like 15 years later. That's the, but that's what I mean is that like, that's the really the only way. Cause I mean, they kind of did that. I think the 2014 album has a lot more of the rock portion. Well, they it. did have some returns even on, uh, even on living things. 2012 was a return to some of the earlier, earlier type stuff, but it doesn't, you can't, I mean, you really have to be able to super deliver when you do that. You know, you've really got to be able to, like, make it make sense. And it has to fit in. It can't seem like I'm just rebranding and remaking hybrid theory sounds. It has to be a new thing. It has to make sense. And it's just like, I just really don't think that they could have done it. That's my point. Because... The success of those albums was, pun intended, the hybrid of the rap and the rock. And so whatever direction they went, either they were going to lose one element or they were going to lose the other. They went with the more anthemic rock because that was the more likely to continue to sell records. Didn't go really amazing, but what rock music was going to at that point in time. But either they were going to lose a lot of the Mike Shinoda hip-hop, you know, record-scratching all that kind of stuff. Or you were going to lose the Chester Bennington hard rock edge version. And really, they kind of lost both. They just kind of became like an anthemic pop rock group, especially that last album. Ooh, that last album. Did you listen to it, Dax? How'd you feel about that last Linkin Park album? Uh, it's okay. I don't have any strong feelings one way or the other, to be honest. It just, I mean, it's just generic. Well, I think... I just don't think you can feel. Well, I don't know what are you going to do. What what are you going to do? You're you're once again you're running into an increased dilemma though, because now you're running into people like us, who listened to it growing up or heard it, you know, had an understanding of it, were unsettled and confused, and now we look. I it continues to play back into this argument that I've used so many times, in set, certain settings like this. Sometimes you just got to know when to stop. Sometimes it's just worth it to be like, we're not doing this anymore because it doesn't, it's it's gone. The reality of it is, is like there's a certain level of their initial popularity that is based off of a fad. It doesn't mean that it's bad. That doesn't make it bad, right? There are lots of things that are popular, like short-lived popularity that are good and interesting and like, you know, and maybe they don't get their due even, right? There's a reason those eras happened because there was something engaging about that period that made people want to latch on. Yes, but like it, it ends, and you need to acknowledge it. There's an appropriate universe where Linkin Park ended in 2003 and Fort Minor continued, and Mike Shinoda just became a hip-hop artist. And that was the thing that maybe he was more known for and had a bit more... Um, he fit more, perhaps, going forward. And again, I think the big issue for me is that I do very much enjoy the mixture of the two. And I think that's where I lose the enjoyment of Linkin Park. Personally, I lose a lot of the hip hop and I get nothing but again, the anthemic rock. And I start to feel like it's just more generic than it used to be. And so like, again, if it had been a world where Mike Shinoda just became a hip hop artist, maybe that would have gotten boring too. But he might have been able to experiment more with something that made sense rather than having to make a dramatic shift. Yeah. Because like even like their fourth album, the one that's like pretty techy, electronic, that one is just such a huge shift that again, like 
you've lost anybody who is a Linkin Park fan for what they were making. You only got those people because like, I don't know, like just maybe what you're doing. And I don't, I don't know what they're doing. Maybe what they were doing is saying like, maybe it's maybe what they've done from minutes to midnight on is an acknowledgement to an extent of the, of the fine, the finality of their, their popularity, you know, and the thing that they had. And maybe they're just like, I guess now we can just try to bank on people who are fans who will listen to us because they like, because they're fans. And just see where we can push some of this stuff and see what type of other things we can do. Maybe that's what they did. I don't know. I will say one of my favorite songs was on A Thousand Suns, The Messenger. Okay. I mean, that was one of the hits that came off of that one, of what came off of that album. It was maybe one of the ones that like people could kind of latch onto a little more. Yeah. Do we still play favorite songs around yeah, here? Yeah, why not? More often these days, we just don't even say, like, favorite song. We just kind of, like, if we're intrigued by something, we play it. When you feel you're alone Cut off from this cruel world Your instinct's telling you to run Listen to your This is a good example of how Chester Bennington uh, is kind of like an M Shadows of Avenged Sevenfold, where they are underappreciated for being good vocalists uh, because of kind of the surrounding everything else stuff. But they are quite well-trained vocalists and have a lot of talent. I was just going to say I love that because it's so raw. That's like one of the only songs where there's like not a million vocal layers stacked on top of each other. and. Uh, very basic kind of like how like shadow of the day is like in that same realm of like a like a ballad song but there's so much going on a lot of electronic parts the 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 wavy kind of cinematic stuff like it i like the heavily mixed stuff too i'm not saying that that's bad it's just a good change i like so this is based on the last portion of what we're saying and like i said i think this is the kind of the obvious finality is that uh lincoln park represents the dramatic end of what happens when a group goes too long um because in a lot of ways and it's pretty well understood that this is the case is that one of the big reasons that chester bennington committed suicide is because of the backlash against their music he was losing faith in his talent he was like he was like beginning to feel like uh, I guess like a failure like he didn't feel like people enjoyed what he was making anymore and I think he lost a lot of his self-worth from that and so the fact that people were I mean and like uh, I will go back to this in a world where Chad Kroger committed suicide I think people would know why and it's because people are so vehemently against them that it's hard to feel like your entire job is worthwhile. People fucking hate you for what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like that's that's a difficult thing to have to grapple with that all of the people who are your fans for 17 years have been shitting on what you've been doing. That's hard. I'm sure. 
Well, that that is a big part of like any performer. Like you, you see uh, any public figure talking about uh, even just a few negative comments. They they do wear on you yeah. after a while. Uh, definitely not the only. There's a lot around that. Uh, his very close friendship with Chris Cornell. S- very soon, three months, I think. Actually, yeah. I think about three months is the gap between Chris Cornell committing suicide and Chester Bennington committing suicide. I believe uh, Chester uh, committed suicide on Chris Cornell's birthday. I well, I mean, they had a very close relationship. Yeah. But to emphasize that, Chester Bennington was the godfather of Chris Cornell's daughter. Like that is a close relationship. That's family more than it. That, that's yeah. Like that was yeah exactly. I, and I remember. Um, so if I remember correctly, I will definitely miss a beat here. Um, Chris Cornell's daughter did a, um, kind of like a, uh, a, a, a remembrance song on something, but I don't remember what it was. Um, but she did hallelujah. And it's because that's what Chester Bennington did after the death of Chris Cornell. And like all of that is just like, Jesus Christ. Like, it's just like truly weepy just, and again, like, I mean, I mentioned it very, very early, obviously, but like, you know, it hit people hard because that was back to back having two like, and and I, you know, I will give Chester Bennington this a rock legend. And, you know, from a modern standpoint, having Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington both pass away in the rock community, in months from each other holy shit that's a lot well shit, both while lot. both while touring as well well it happened again with chris cornell me and jared actually were supposed to be seeing them at rock on the range uh soundgarden but soundgarden could not be there because chris cornell had just committed suicide maybe a week before and so they had to switch gears and have a different group be the headliner because Soundgarden was the headliner. They had to be like, we have to reshape this entire large set of bands because Soundgarden can no longer be here. It changed the tone of the entire like set. It was something that, again, reverberated throughout the genre. It was a big deal. Um, and again, it was uh, in a lot of ways based on the fact that people had just not accepted what Linkin Park was doing. And I'm not saying, hey, don't make you know more music after your albums are not accepted. Otherwise, you're going to want to kill yourself. But like, again, that negative feedback for so long, it wears away at you. He also did have a lot of issues with depression. He's very open about it. Uh, being uh, like trapped alone in his head was something he talked a lot about. And uh, yeah, very sad. I'm sure. I'm sure him being so open about it did help many people, though. Yeah, that happens. Scott, Scott Hutchinson is a similar scenario who was very open about all of that, and it's the same situation. There are a lot of people who, man, that's a that's a bummer too. They're all bummers. Dug on it. What's interesting is, and this is just a, a thing about the whole scenario, not him specifically, you know, but everyone who who's in that role. When you're open, there's a certain amount of catharsis in being open about it, but it only lasts for so long. You know, it feels good to be open about it. Sometimes it feels like that's the only way you can address it. I mean, that's, I've listened to a lot of interviews with Scott who talks about that scenario of like, that's just the way that you, he addresses those feelings or whatever. A lot of people do do that, but it doesn't, it doesn't always, it that certainly doesn't solve things, but uh, sometimes it only makes things better so long, or sometimes it only allows you to deal with a specific momentary event 
that is evoking a certain... I, I mean, I can speak to that as someone who has struggled with depression for literally my entire life. Like, I know that that's something that, like, I was, you know, like, I, in the bleakest sense, I was having suicidal thoughts when I was, like, 12. Like, it's been a long time that I've been dealing with that. But once I started being more open about it, it was cathartic at the time. But then after a while, you start reasoning, you're like, oh, God, I've been feeling this for a long time. Like once you've been like once you've felt that catharsis, but you continue to be transparent about it, you realize you've been transparent about it for years. And you're like, oh, I've been doing this for a while. This isn't going to end. This is like this is something that you have to do for the rest of your life. Like that gets to be defeating. It does, especially because at some point you've already the person that I'm being open with about it. I've already told these things. And so now I'm being repetitive to them. It just makes it confusing. That's what it does. So, you know, there certainly is value in it, but it doesn't, and it can help other people. Like that's that that is the only way to continue. To, I think to be open about it in a, in a way that isn't eventually just like confusing is to be open with the intent of trying to help a person, specific person you're talking to or someone you're talking about or whatever. And this is I, this is gonna be the last that I have on it is just the the reality that. What we do, unfortunately, in the kind of media world of things, when someone is popular, famous, whatever it might be, we know very, very clearly where those people stand and how those people feel. But because they're public figures, we almost forget that they are human beings. We think of them as like these like upper being gods to some degree. And so once they once it's a case that they have now been open about their issues, we don't reach out to them and see how they're doing. We don't like, like this is a really odd, obscure example, but like Lil Peep is an artist that was very, very open about drug abuse and depression from the beginning of his music and nobody did anything. Like we knew it was a big issue in his life and we were just like, oh yeah, that's Lil Peep, that, that we can relate with that, but we didn't care enough to actually like address it and that's why he died because we were all aware of the issue and we just pretended like it wasn't actually an issue. We just, it was a personality trait about an artist more than it was a real issue in a real person's life. To an extent. But it also, I mean, all the, the only thing required there is a certain level of acknowledgement. Honestly, you, you can't, I'm not, you are, you are Chester Bennington. What am I going to do to help you? I can't do anything. There are people in your life who can you know, or whatever, I'm not one of them. Even if I was a fan, like a big fan, I can't, I'm not one of them. I can't do anything other than just say, you know, there is arguments of like the collective hatred of something like that weighs on you and the collective love helps you. But it it's, those are fleeting items, you know, those are not addressing any specific situation or any specific issue. And there are people in your life who can do that who have a role in doing that. But it's like, it's just very, it's difficult because we can't, I mean, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, I can't look at you and be like, what's up? I'm a guy that you don't know. And I demand you don't do drugs anymore. It becomes difficult because fame in that, into that level is very isolating anyway. And a lot of times it breeds paranoia and stuff like that. And then you just get very. So we don't bookend this episode with sad death. Dax, please hit us with some fun stuff so we can end this on a high note. Let me start with a little uh, message from Sugar Ray here. Uh, This is from a concert, Sugar Ray concert, uh, not long uh, after Chester Bennington passed. 
We will talk about this further on the podcast at some point. I don't want to get into it right now for obvious reasons. I'm fucking sick and tired of Mark McGrath finding his way into every significant emotional <laughs> moment of my goddamn life the last three I months. like how excited he was not that long ago about Mark McGrath finding his way into all of the emotional and nooks and crannies. It just keeps life. happening! But now, it just keeps happening, Tyler. Now he's no longer happy about it. He was once pleased, and now he's quite displeased. I keep, it's just, I, it's it's becoming strange. The The fact that the world wants Mark McGrath to be this related to my life is weird. You can't message Mark McGrath right now and say, I, I don't know about you, homie, but I really miss Chester right now. And he, because he, he would just, he would, he would not, I don't even know. His response would just be like, well, you, you've ruined the shred of a friendship we have over an application used to make videos for me to make money. So next, I'd like to play a song by the band Kular. Kular. Uh, it's a cover of Numb. These boys are going all out. He's singing with with the rings of Saturn in the background there. I hate, I hate <laughs> that that was maybe one of the saddest moments for me of the show because uh-huh. I know Jared would have fucking loved. That's why it. I brought it up. Oh my god! That's like, why I brought it up. Jesus Christ! What a ridiculous thing. So I'm gonna choose one of the videos that he sent me for us to watch, and we're gonna watch it. I'm gonna me, a person who didn't find it and has zero knowledge, will describe you. Briefly, what we're watching and that I'm choosing. That's right. I'm stealing the fun from you. The funder. All right. This is a video. It's in. It's in the end. It's a. It's a vocal cover of Indian. Can you name his uh, channel, please? John Sudano. Everyone, go give him a peek. Somebody once told me. tool in the shed she was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an owl on her forehead well the years start coming and they don't stop coming fed to the rules and they hit the ground running didn't make sense not to live for fun your brain gets smart but your head gets dumb I'm glad that he uh, rose to fame in the YouTube era because if he had done this now he would have totally fallen into TikTok obscurity. Just slid right past him. Not appreciated for the brilliance that he brought to the he world. He just barely squeaked in, too. Barely. It was like, what, 2017? 16. 16. What you got next? Uh, Machine Gun Kelly did a cover of Numb as well. Not, go- not back to MGK. More aware by becoming this, all I want to do. 
guy's such an ass. <laughs> <laughs> He's just the worst person to be covering this. I just don't know why people care about him. He's not a good vocalist. I think he's fun. He's got fun ideas, but he's he doesn't execute them well. I like what he does with his fame. I'll give you that. He just doesn't deserve it. Not regarded as much as he should for the quality of his vocal delivery. Listen to him. Sounds like he's taking enough drugs to be numb in this. Here's classic YouTube, 2007. I enjoyed this back in the day. This video is called Linkin Park Parody. Inside. The problems you went through back in junior high Computerized beats, we got them from the start Then Chester comes along and sings this part Then I rap some more, I say it all again like I did before Formulaic flow, one guy was headphones It comes the same old chorus, you know the way it goes That's pretty right on the essence of what's happening. I, I like that the you can see in the video that the instruments they're playing. Uh, he's singing into a uh, traditional PC mouse, and he's playing uh, the guitar with an old keyboard. I have two more things. One of them's an honorable mention. We don't have to play it, but Linkin Park did a, a really nice cover of Rolling in the Deep. I got one more song, and then I'm done. Uh, I wanted to save this one for last because I like it a lot. It's uh, Crawling by Linkin Park Live. With Chris Cornell. Final thoughts on Lincoln Park. Music for Relief. They're, they're a charity that they started. They do really, really amazing stuff for uh, donate like $8 million or something crazy like that. But it's a really cool thing. Not a lot of bands will go like that far out of their way and actually do the thing. Yeah. At most, they will just like perform for a thing. But they did the thing. Philanthropy. We like it here. Yeah. People with money should do it. Thank you for uh, tuning in to Record Roundtable again after all of this time, waiting for us to uh, do that thing. I will make no promises on when you will hear from us again. I will assume you will hear something from us again. But even if not, uh, we did it. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. I close both blinds and Sometimes solutions aren't so simple